Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of The Sequelizer, the podcast about the follow-up films worth caring about. I'm your host, Rob Trench, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing what's unquestionably the most hotly anticipated film of the summer, Captain America Civil War. Joining me today to talk about Civil War is a very special guest. From all the way out in Edinburgh, Scotland, we have film fan and co-host of the Senate Floor podcast, Lee Hutchinson. How are you doing, Lee? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Rob. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Top Film Society, so it's a pleasure to, to be on the network today. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, so I just want to ask you just a few questions to kind of get the ball rolling. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about your take on the sequels in general, just like your experience with that kind of format yep, of film, I'm ready. maybe some of your favorites? Yeah, I think of last week, for example, I went to three movie events um, here in Scotland and on the Sunday I got to see the Before Trilogy all in one go. I'd, I've seen them before separately on, on the big screen, but never one after another. Ooh. We actually had a hundred minute delay between um, sunset and midnight, so it kind of added to the the film vibe. And then on the Tuesday I watched Alien and Aliens on the big screen, so that was all. that's always a thrill to get. And then on the Thursday, I went to a Captain America Avengers marathon. So I kind of had quite a bit of experience really with uh, sequels in the past week alone. Um, I'm a big fan of sequels when they're done right. And sometimes when they're not done right, they can still be as equally enjoyable. Um, When I was younger, like I'm a huge Star Trek, Star Wars fan. So seeing the the sequels to all these movies was always quite a, a thrill that you couldn't get enough of what you loved. Um, I always remember as a kid, I saw Star Trek 3 before I saw Star Trek 2. So I remember thinking as a kid, why is Spock on this planet? Have they just like sent him off by mistake in this like tube? I didn't realize he had died really. And um, I remember seeing Empire Strikes Back before A New Hope. So it was always quite different in the 90s when things were so disjointed and there was no real streaming. You only had like a few TV channels here in the UK. So you would see sequels out of order, in order. It, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I'm a huge James Bond fan, but I grew up with watching that series all out of sync and all out of loop. So um, I think it's pretty great nowadays that you could spend a whole week or weekend watching sequels. And it's a huge event now. We You can go to the cinema and watch these trilogies. And I think it adds something special. It's part of, I think, geek culture. Like for decades we never really got anything like this here in the uk where you'd get double bills all day marathons it was something we always looked quite endlessly on to the america but now we get them and it it really adds something special it's a big event for me when i get those kind of events so yeah i I love them and they're just something so enjoyable for me i know i totally agree with you i didn't actually know that was uh inherently like american sort of thing like i know in the 70s and 80s for example like the star wars movies they played them like back to back in like marathons and they re-released them for people to come back and see them just Mm -hmm. because like home video hadn't like completely taken off by that point. And it was still sort of like a niche sort of thing for many people. Uh, The theater was still the best context for people to kind of see these classic films. I still kind of find that even today, now that like, you know, home media culture is so apparent, people still want to discover the theatrical sense of seeing films the way they were meant to be seen and being able to kind of have these kind of franchise continuations, even unexpected, unlikely stuff like you describing seeing like the before trilogy on theaters. Like that's something I know like cinephiles here in Toronto would like die for 
Yeah, it's something really special. I always think of, I'm a big fan of the James Bond Blu-rays, and I always watch the trailers before I watch a film. It's just part of how I like to enjoy a film. And they always have it, especially with the Connery and Moore movies, they show you like a trailer where they're doing it before they're doing like a triple bill. So it was it was something that was really popular here, kind of the 70s, 60s and 80s, but it really just died in the 90s. We didn't have a, a kind of culture here of showing midnight releases or anything like that. It just kind of died a death. You get the odd cinema. It's more down in London, the, the wonderful Prince Charles cinema that do these kind of all day events, trilogies, marathons. But we never really got it here as kind of a general thing. Now I just think in the past few years how many alien all day events, how many before trilogies events we've got. All these different types of things really seem to have kind of taken off in the past few years. And I think it's now knowing, especially thanks to things like Twitter, how much of a fan base is there for events like this. Whereas before they always kind of assumed probably geeks are just going to watch them in their basements. Now they know that these people will pay money to watch it as a cinema experience, regardless of how many times they've watched it at home sort of like all about that kind of communal sensibility uh, you're just uh, earlier you're talking about the whole idea of we're getting all these uh new iterations of past franchises lately the new star wars for example or um i guessing like we had a that whole alien day thing last week and i think that was yeah. partly for fox to start hyping up people for the new alien films which are going to be coming out the next couple of years like what do you kind of think about the ways in which uh, you know, major studios and Hollywood are trying to go back and do right these franchises which have maybe been discarded or haven't had like an update in a long time. Yeah, for me, when I think of Alien Day, I think it was more just something that snowballed out of Reebok selling a new pair of Alien shoes that that was the first thing I saw about this Alien Day that they're going to be releasing these shoes and then the cinemas started steamrolling with the idea. So I think every chain here in the UK, like the big three, all did the Alien Day events, all director's cuts. Um, and I always think it's a good thing for studios because I think it builds some of the anticipation and it it's a good money earner for the studios that this is something that they've probably done repeated times on Blu-ray and DVD. And because those sales have kind of gone down in the past few years that you've only got people that are maybe with the big releases or hard- hardcore fans that are actually buying the product now that they need to find new ways to, to make money. So releasing things back into the cinema for a day building a marathon where they can charge someone maybe £40 is a good way of getting a bit of investment back, just releasing it every so often here. Sometimes I think studios don't shouldn't be or could be a bit more ambitious. When we had the, the anniversary of Bond a few years ago, I thought that would be a perfect opportunity for them to re-release one a week into the cinema and it would probably be in the top 10 box office on one day release alone. And I think with things like Alien... It's always good. To, I've seen it quite a few times here in the UK. We always seem to have it as quite a regular late night movie release, but it always packs an audience and it's always a hearty audience because people just love seeing them on the big screen and you recognise the faces that one of my favourite sequels is The Wrath of Khan and I will always take the chance to see it on the big screen and support it. And you recognise a lot of the same faces. So I think studios still underestimate here in the UK especially the amount of money and publicity they can get out of you know funding these events and it's a good way to see the films again and you know i always think of if i had a kid and something like the star wars movies were getting shown again i would take them along no matter how young they were just so they could experience it and get that kind of buzz i know i totally agree with you uh i think actually 
the first alien film has screened in toronto just about four times now in the last year Mm -hmm. all the different theaters like they'll book it just for like a run a few months apart from each other uh and it still ends up packing a crowd like there's always still buzz about seeing like the original movie because it has such a reputation about it and it seems to me like you know people who've seen the film so many times it doesn't matter if they've seen it like you know again and again in the theaters they just love coming back and you know getting that audience dynamic and experiencing it like with fresh eyes yeah I, I it was one of my recent showings of alien it was maybe a good few months ago it was like a monday night uh, retro screening and there was a and it can sometimes be a problem. I think some people misjudge retro screenings as something like with The Room, the Tommy Wusso film, where you kind of go along and have a chuckle at its expense. And there was someone like that would just kind of laugh at all, maybe the odd dodgy effect or the odd bit of acting. And they would just kind of like, whoa, I remember the nuclear explosion at the end. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a dated image, but there's nothing kind of amusing about it. And at the end of the screening, all these geeks around me just all kind of lined up to say to this person, what are you doing? Why would you come along to this event and just kind of laugh? And I've seen it a few times at events like that where people misjudge that they're here to see Star Trek 2, they're here to see Alien and kind of chuckle along with it like, ha it's so old and dated. And I think that can be quite irritating. Some people just don't get it they almost probably compare it to those all-night horror events where you kind of laugh along with some of the dated movies and it can be a bit of frustrating in the audience if that's happening right like there's all these uh ritualistic components to take into effect when you're going to see a film with a particular audience in a particular setting there's all these uh contingencies to account for and i feel like lots of people today are just so relaxed with the idea of seeing an old film in the theaters a lot of them kind of take it for granted they sort of just treat it as if they're seeing the movie like in their living room with like 40 other strangers or something. Yeah. It's that kind of like unruly sort of patrons, which I kind of feel are killing the theatrical experience. Though if you go and see a film, which is maybe more obscure, has like more cult appeal, you're less likely to kind of run into those kind of bozos. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always uh, quite a privilege because I always think of Wrath of Khan as one of my favourite sequels in all time, one of my favourite movies. And I remember the first opportunity I ever had to see Wrath of Khan on the big screen and I had to travel to the, another city, Glasgow, to go see it that day. And then they showed it a few weeks later here in Edinburgh. So I went to see it again. And it was just the fact that I couldn't get enough of seeing it on the big screen that I'd grown up and watching it on VHS, Blu-ray, DVD, Laserdisc, everything in between. And to see it on the big screen is what it was designed for in the first place and it's still the ultimate way to see a movie if you can go see it that to see the the model work to see the hear the score on a, a, a speaker system it's still a special experience and especially if you've grown up with movies on dvd vhs if you get the chance to see it it's always worth taking and traveling if you need to that's i totally 100 percent agree with you on that and i think that's a good point to wrap up this half of the podcast I guess we're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we're going to be diving right into Captain America Civil War. Stick around.
If you're just joining us now, this part of the podcast will be spent entirely discussing Captain America Civil War, which is the 13th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and a sequel to the last two Captain America films, somewhat of a sequel to the last Avengers film, Age of Ultron, and the film which is going to be setting up most of the conflicts apparent in Avengers Infinity War set to be released within the next two or three years. Um, as of this podcast recording, the film has been released in several international territories and will be released in North American theaters this coming weekend. Uh, at this point, it's already received very positive accolades from critics. As of right now, it has about 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it should garner a gigantic opening weekend domestically. I have no idea what to say at this point, really, in terms of you know what audiences are going to think about it. I kind of feel that the uh, fans who have seen the film early, like myself, are very positive on it, but I just wanted to have like a talk with you, Lee, about you know, the way you saw the film and just like what that kind of atmosphere was like, because you mentioned earlier, you saw this film in like Captain America trilogy marathon. Yeah, I saw it um, last Thursday here in the UK. Um, I saw it kind of in a bit of a all over the place sort of mode. Um, I went to see it with the first Captain America movies and the Avengers movies. So we started at two in the afternoon with first Avenger, then into the Avengers then Winter Soldier, um, Age of Ultron, and I had a ticket, and then part of that included in the ticket was seeing um, Civil War at midnight. However, the first four were in 2D, and then the finally Civil War at midnight was in 3D, and I'm not a big fan of conventional 3D. I don't mind it for IMAX 3D, but I'm not a fan. So we've got, we're quite lucky here in Edinburgh with the amount of cinemas we've got. So I had a ticket for the IMAX showing at midnight. So I was probably the only one that left the cinema I was in at about 20 to midnight and when Ultron left and raced across town to go to the other cinema to go watch it in IMAX at midnight. So, um, yeah, that was how I kind of saw it first, and the atmosphere was, was really good. The cinema I saw it in was doing uh, the marathon that I was at, the kind of extended one, while at the same time doing a trilogy marathon, and then it was doing all the midnight releases as well. So this is, as I said something earlier, like we don't really get this stuff in the UK, really thanks to kind of things like Marvel, The Dark Knight, that's really kind of kick-started us getting these sorts of midnight events before it was it was non-existent so there was a really good atmosphere the IMAX in particular was was really buzzing um I think back to like a few weeks earlier when I saw Batman v Superman in the same IMAX screen it was kind of three-quarter full there, there wasn't much energy whereas this for the midnight release was was really quite amped up totally I feel like uh midnight film culture is such a weird kind of communal thing for so many fans you know it doesn't even really depend on the film uh being shown if you can get a whole full audience of people just amped up and ready to take in the film you know you're always going to be in for a good time speaking about the film in general like what did you think especially after having seen the earlier captain america films and avengers films like directly before seeing this like how did that uh influence your perception of the film i think that Captain America is definitely my favourite of the Marvel movies. I think they flow so incredibly well compared to the other movies. The, the trilogy or the first two of all these other movies feel very clunky. Um, that you go from Iron Man and then you go into this 
really odd movie in Iron Man 2 which is kind of all over the place and then into the third which feels like a different movie altogether then you've got the Thor movie where I liked the first Thor but the second one really didn't click with me so I feel that watching the Captain America movies it, I feel like it's got a really good flow that Steve Rogers is such a consistent character that things may change around him but he's still the same character so you can really follow the films through and follow him through the Avengers movies as well so I think that that really influenced it as well that I wasn't a big fan of Ultron when it came out and repeated viewings still never clicked with me. I always thought it was like the season five of Buffy was what it felt like to me. Just all these uh, people were moping around too many plots and I could just see Joss Whedon repeating quite a lot of things I'd seen him do before. So, but then watching it with this marathon, it felt like it clicked a lot better. When I just sort of watched it as following the Steve Rogers plot line through Ultron, it clicked with me a lot more and I didn't really worry about things that I had issues with, say, the romance plot. So I think that the Steve Rogers thing just holds it all together so well. And Civil War is a payoff for so many things. We see that there's little lines that you pick up here and there in all the different movies that kind of get paid off intentionally or unintentionally in uh, Civil War. So I feel that it's it really is a hell of a payoff and it um, almost part of me wished Steve Rogers, the story kind of ended at the end of Civil War, that it kind of rounded off and that was that because I think it just had that such great flow and I, I'm curious now where it will go from here. Just, uh, you mentioned earlier about, I guess, the consistency of uh, the Captain America character and just like the films themselves. I find that a bit interesting because I remember going to see the original uh, first Avenger film back in 2011, not liking it very much because I felt the whole retro vibe they were going for didn't really kind of gel well with the other sort of MCU films. Whereas now that it's been a few years later and there's this kind of inherent like homogenization between the bulk of the films. Like they have this kind of same quality to them. It actually really stands out now. And I feel like it's the one film which has really stood the test of time. And comparatively having the sequel, the winter soldier kind of take on this seventies, like uh, Alan J. Pakula style, paranoid thriller, uh, you know, sensibility and having like civil war sort of be like somewhat of an extension off of that. I find to be really intriguing as well. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that when I first saw First Avenger, it didn't click with me whatsoever. It was probably the MCU movie from the phase one that I was most excited for. And I just felt at the time, I was like, it just didn't really click with me. And then on repeat viewings, I found more and more to like about it and love about it. And I just think it's, it wears its heart on its sleeve and it, it is a Captain America movie and it's the characters are all so wonderfully realised. It embraces the time so well that I think the Star Spangled Man um, scene, for example, is just one of the highlights of the MCU. And I feel that with the Captain America movies, and you see it with the first Avenger, um, Winter Soldier, and now Civil Wars, with a lot of the other MCU movies, and I think they've moved a bit further with that in Phase 2, is a lot of them all felt like generic starting off um, superhero movies. Whereas the first obviously we've touched on is that kind of retro rocketeer style movie and then we've got the spy thriller for winter soldier and i feel that they've decided that instead of making superhero movies they're going to make movies about spy thrillers heists and space adventure movies that are just going to have superheroes kind of thrown into them and i think that's really clicked with them in the past few years that they couldn't just keep making movie after movie that were in a way conventional superhero movies It'd be interesting to see where they kind of take that 
moving forward because they obviously have to differentiate the sort of films which they make getting into i guess we can talk mainly about civil war in itself now just begin to unpack the movie so this is a film which is adapted from the marvel comic series from 2006 and 2007 which sees a political divide between the avengers after a mission gone wrong results in heavy civilian casualties so there's one team which is led by captain america steve rogers who desires freedom and another side which is represented by tony stark iron man who prefers to be more on the side of government intervention. Uh, we see that battle lines are drawn and sides are chosen. And what results from that is maybe one of the most intense offerings from the MCU to date. Uh, what I think was so smart about Civil War is they waited to this point to the right moment to take on this storyline. So it really hit to like the fullest effect. I really, really enjoyed it. I found myself just sitting in the cinema and for a movie going in, it was like billed as this is one of the longest Marvel movies. And obviously having seen Batman v Superman where I felt every minute passing, with this I felt it just flowed so well. And considering I'd been in a cinema for nearly 12 hours at that point, I wasn't aware of how quick time was going. And it flows so well. I think the tight focus of the film works really well to its to its own best, really. that I think that Ultron was necessarily in the long run because it had its flaws. It had tried to put too much on the screen, too many plots, too many side things, too much building towards the future. With this, I feel that while there are little B and C plots here and there through the movie, it just has this really strong A plot and everything's just pushing that conflict and the fallout from that conflict. And it doesn't try to be anything almost bigger than what's always going on between Steve Rogers and Iron Man, and I found that really fascinating. And I mean, I've seen criticism that, oh, here's another Marvel movie where the bad guy doesn't do much or is completely forgettable. But I think that detracts from the point that this is, we've got a bad guy here that he doesn't need to do much. We've just got someone in the background just pulling a little few strings, doesn't need to do much because this conflict's been earned. We don't have to have some convoluted plot where I'm going to do this to Iron Man so he falls out with Captain America and then I'm going to do this to him. And it was so tightly focused because the payoff and all the work, the philosophy of the conflict is peppered through those other movies, whether it's the scene in Ultron where they're chopping wood and they're discussing their different views about where the Avengers are going, whether it's the argument on the helicarrier where Captain America's almost calling out Iron Man about would he be the one to lay down his, you know, lay down and make the kind of big decisions. And it's been earned. So it gets to be tight without having to spend an hour and an hour and a half making you believe that these people could really fall out. Right off the bat, would you say that you're uh, more team Captain America or more team Iron Man? I think it's quite a tricky question. I'm team Cap because I love Captain America. I think that's the success of the Marvel movies is when we think about what kind of reputation Captain America had before even the first movie and probably post the first movie that he was this kind of boring character. He was a Boy Scout. He really didn't do much. He wasn't that exciting. But the fact that the writing and Chris Evans' performance makes him someone that you really want to get behind or you'd be in the trenches with, which is obviously a good sign for someone that's a captain and a leader. So I'm, I would be totally on board with him. With the philosophy in the film, I do believe that they should have um, restrictions on them. And when you see the history of the movies, it makes sense that they should have restrictions on them. So I'm very much Team Iron Man in that respect. But the fact that I'm emotionally drawn to the Steve Rogers character is a credit to the film. And 
I always think of a few weeks ago when I don't know if you saw on Twitter where there was this viral thing where it was like, do you stand with Team Captain America or Team Iron Man? And my entire timeline almost seemed to be Team Captain America. And I think that if you had done that five years ago, everyone would have been, oh, Team Iron Man, Team Iron Man, even without the films. And I think it's a testament to the the writing that you can be conflicted about. Well, I, I agree with Captain America about this, but then at the same time, Iron Man's kind of right. It makes for a believable conflict. It's not just making one character a villain so one character looks good. Both of them can come out with the pros and cons. The way they set that up is so interesting because there isn't exactly like a wrong person. They each have a claim, like a stake as to why in which they feel like their you know activities should be regulated or not be regulated and what's so great about the movie is even though it's being positioned as a captain america movie it feels very much like an extension of the avengers like this is sort of like avengers 2.5 as uh, i've seen other people describe even though it's missing a couple of core members from the other films uh very much the other people we've kind of grown to know in the past are essentially in this um ragtag team here so how do you sort of feel about civil war sort of being in the crosshairs of being like a captain america film and an avengers film uh do you sort of feel like it belongs to maybe one camp more so than the other i feel that it definitely is a captain america movie i feel especially the the first act and the closing act it really all comes back to captain america what captain america is doing in the conflict what's brought him to these positions and i really feel that in the middle it does feel like avengers 2.5 and that's not a bad thing whatsoever i think that it would it's always comes back to that classic cliche that after the first avengers uh, movie that people went well, why wouldn't they call up all these superheroes when they had problems that if there's all these helicarriers, why isn't he calling Iron Man? So I feel that it embraces its own reality as well, that you can still have this movie with it really just being focused on Captain America and Iron Man, but it ignores the universe and the play pit that they can have. So I think it is a good idea to bring all these other characters in. And I never felt that any of the other characters in a negative way um overshadowed the conflict whatsoever they were just people there that were adding a bit of illustration to the why people would want to pick the sides that they were on and they brought some of their own controversies that uh, black widow that we saw such that brilliant friendship in winter soldier that she's trying to speak to steve trying to be steve's conscience in a way at times saying come on you're on the wrong side here and you need that. Sometimes you need those extra voices of the people that we've grown to trust, their friends, to illustrate how this is such a big conflict and how it's not just two people that have fallen out. It It's something that could really tear the Avengers apart. So um, I guess the first thing we should probably talk about is Spider-Man. Uh, what did you sort of think about the way he was portrayed and how much it sort of contrasted against uh, other live-action interpretations I know that Spider-Man's not a huge factor of the movie. He doesn't kind of come in until about halfway through, and he's going to be getting his own movie next summer. But from what I can tell so far, it seems to be like the version of the character people have been waiting to see for years and years and years. Like, he's a real teenager in this mold. Yeah, it definitely helps not having someone that's pushing 30 playing Spider-Man. <laughs> I think... I think what works so well with the Spider-Man in this movie is that he brings a lot of levity to the film. And I think that works really well with Ant-Man as well. But with Spider-Man, that you've got this 
conflict between these two big characters that people are debating their philosophies that a group's being kind of torn apart and it can be quite a heavy going movie but at the same time you need that levity that I think the Marvel movies do so well that that even in the biggest of conflicts people still can have a laugh can crack a few jokes and all that and I felt that the character almost steals the movie especially in the middle when he meets Iron Man for the first time and I was just watching that scene and the, the chemistry and they were just sparking so well off each other I thought man I could just watch Spider-Man Homecoming right now please just give me this movie right here right now and I think it it's it's very well written and I'm I think that we the fact that we don't have Spider-Man for once heartbroken about a romance plot which would be the first time in about five movies that we don't have him carrying the burden or the grief of uncle his uncle's death and it just allows him to be spider-man that i think the other movies got so kind of bogged down at times with that he had it couldn't just be spider-man he had to be someone that was in a relationship he had to be someone that was carrying a lot of grief which is all understandable especially in the first first trilogy but it just kind of get wears you down when you've got five movies in and you're like, I really don't care about Spider-Man's romance problems anymore. I just want to see him being Spider-Man and enjoying what he's doing and embracing and living in that world. And I think that there's so much potential in those few scenes that I cannot wait to see where they go with Spider-Man next. Of course. And aside from Spider-Man, the other character we get a really good preview of is Black Panther. And his character is so like interwoven into the plot as well that it's kind of interesting just to see that we get a lot of background for the character in this installment, so much to the point that it's almost like a springboard for his own film, which is coming out in 2017 from uh, Ryan Coogler, I think is directing it, the guy who made Creed. Yeah, I enjoyed him. He didn't click maybe as much as uh, as the new Spider-Man did. I think it's the fact that perhaps with uh, Black Panther as well, we got a few scenes of him, and I, I can't remember for the life of me his human name. But with the character of Black Panther, I think we saw a lot of him doing a lot of the same things over and over again, that chasing someone down, trying to get them. And I think we saw that maybe just one or two times a bit too many. And I think they're still just trying to get to know this character. But at the same time, I I thought everything about him seemed really badass and that they sort of started to really flesh out the world he lives in. So I'm really excited to see the Black Panther movie. But at the same time, it didn't leave the biggest of impacts on me seeing him in the film and perhaps because a lot of the other characters just seemed a bit more stronger a bit more developed at this stage and I think when he gets his own movie we'll get to see him breathe a lot more and learn a lot more about him and but I think they didn't want to do things perhaps they've done with Ultron of introducing too many new elements at one time and they've played him just maybe the right amount but maybe just a little too uh too little yeah you can kind of see that as well with uh Ultron the way in which they introduced uh Scarlet Witch and Vision and in this movie it seems like they're trying to you know sow the seeds of developing a sort of like you know intimate relationship between the two of them uh like in the comics I think there's like an early storyline where they actually end up like getting married and having like babies and like it's kind of weird just to kind of see both of them kind of flirting in the movie I think uh or sort of like a weird sort of strange relationship that's kind of being fostering there uh yeah I almost saw him as like a kind of uh, vision to Scarlet which has been that kind of odd uncle that everyone has that <laughs> that there's just something about him just the way he kind of interacted and that little scene where he was cooking the food was it, it, I thought was a, quite an amusing moment and just even the fact that there's this kind of godlike character that's just kicking around in a jumper and a shirt <laughs> and I thought he, he, he was really really enjoyable I think 
he was definitely one of the stars of the movie and the, the few scenes that he had. Um, but at the same time, he kind of drove the conflict forward a lot more as well with his, his almost take of being part of the group, but at the same time, not being part of the group that he's this outsider that's got this different view from everyone and he he does come down a side and seeing his kind of paternal side of looking after Scarlet which was definitely one of the highlights of the movie for me too oh yeah for sure i feel like this movie is really at the heart of it about uh bucky barnes the winter soldier and his relationship to steve rogers yeah it almost reminded me of season five of 24 i don't know if you ever watched that where the season starts off there's uh, an attack where several main characters are taken out and we all are meant to believe that it's jack bauer behind it all and it was almost the same kind of identical screenshot of someone wearing a hoodie looking like oh my god that's such and such did it but i felt that that kind of part of the movie was kind of a bit rushed over and but it it didn't really need too much focus on it. I think it was just what to dive into just creating that bit of conflict to, to get um, Captain America looking after Bucky Barnes. And I felt that Bucky Barnes is a character I, I really enjoy. And it's part of that through thread that's gone through the past two movies that no matter what time or genre the movie is, that their relationship is still part, part of the movie. I think he's really good in the movie. Um, I almost feel that it, it has reached its natural conclusion with Bucky Barnes. Um, I would like to have seen a bit more of them two together that I think sometimes you're watching the scenes that perhaps it's because Bucky Barnes is still, his memory isn't quite there, that he's maybe not the Bucky Barnes of old, that can almost create a bit of a block between, okay. you're like, Captain America, you, you get why he's wanting to back for his friend, but when you're the majority of the movies that we know him as really this winter soldier we we don't have that almost same connection with the winter soldier that this is someone that we're perhaps as invested in as a person outside of a kind of a villain of course and we have that moment in the film where they really twist the knife and they reveal that you know bucky assassinated tony stark's parents in that flashback sequence and that was what really sets off that final fight between the three of them and i feel like that you know, obviously, like they allude to it, like in the beginning, in the middle of the film, and you know, it doesn't take a lot for like you know, even the average audience member to put like two and two together. But I do feel like the way in which they kind of engineer that is pretty pretty brilliant in terms of being like a natural conclusion to that character. Yeah, I think it's it's outstanding. It, I I never saw that scene coming that it was going to be his parents had been taken out by the Winter Soldier, and I think it's what I like most of all is that we talked about this conflict where they have it at the airport you've got Ant-Man going to all these different sizes all these people having like a big comic book style action beat but then when the conflict at the end is essentially a man finding out that this man he trusted has betrayed him by keeping this secret that he knew who killed his parents and when we see in the movie when Iron Man heads off to Russia to help Captain America thought, oh, okay, that's the kind of conflict over. And I felt a bit shortchanged. I thought that was all a bit wrapped up conveniently. But when this, like, honest moment comes out, and I think it's really quite bold for the, the Marvel movies to, to make it that Captain America, the, the Boy Scout, knew that Iron Man's parents were killed by his best friend. It's something that's, it's almost like, wow, that's that's a bold bit of drama. It's not some sort of fantastical element to create conflict. It's something that's really brutal and you could imagine like you all these people that are team captain america to find that out and you would think well i'd want to give him a bloody bloody nose for something like that and the fact that the, the fight goes from something that's extravagant and extraordinary and 
funny and adventurous to being essentially two men just punching each other over and over. I really like that, that the the brutal realisation and shock just reduced them to being people that were just knocking punches and punches out of each other, making them black and blue. It, it wasn't about the gadgets or anything like that. It was just fist and bone. Of course, and like that scene itself is so intense, right down to the you know last couple moments of what happens uh, and all this sort of damage which is dealt. And I said this earlier about the whole like you know airport scene, but that scene at the end is just maybe one of the top scenes I've ever seen in like uh not even like a marvel film but even like just any like action movie like the way it's choreographed and you know the way it's shot and just like everything that's happening in between it i think that's maybe to me what makes civil war probably one of my favorite movies in the mcu to date like it just kind of delivers on so many different fronts and it does such a great setup as well for infinity war in terms of the way that like all the different conflicts have been like rearranged at this point and you know what's happening i guess now with people in terms of their alignment and everything. I think what I, surprised me most, and I didn't realize it until today, was that the second unit on this movie was done by a lot of the guys that were involved with John Wick. And I think that really is noticeable in that end with a lot of the hand-to-hand combat. And with the scene, for example, in the stairwell, um, when they're in Largos, I think, at the time. or No, no. I, oh, yeah, I think they're in uh, Africa at the time when they're having the fight in the stairwell with Bucky. And I think that second unit direction is fantastic if i assume they were involved in those key scenes but it's just the fact that it's such a genuine conflict it's not just that it's not convoluted it it, when captain america's asked did you know that bucky barnes killed my parents and he's like no and then he he asks again did you know and he can't lie like i think that's one of the first captain america movies that oh you're a terrible liar and Captain America could keep his face straight, tell the truth, and that's the conflict diffused. But being the man he is, he, while he didn't want to let something out, he, when he's confronted about it, he can't lie about it. And it's that comes back to that thread that goes through the movies that each one has so many little bits and pieces that it takes from, and so many little callbacks, small and big, that the conflict and the way he behaves, even in this really quite cruel manner to keep something like that secret from tony is so believable it's not for- forced at all it's it's natural of course yeah uh where in which would you say that civil war ranks with you in terms of the other marvel films i know when we first started talking you said that it, you know it was like one of your favorites but like i guess where in which do you think it kind of falls in i guess in terms of like ranking maybe top three or so yeah i I'm not too sure yet. I always find that I need to sometimes see it a few more times and I haven't had the chance this week to really go again. I think for me, still the number one is The Winter Soldier. Um, I just love so much about that movie. There's a lot of things I look for in movies and that answers a lot. It really fleshes out the world in quite an organic way and I love the relationship between um, Winter, the Captain America and Black Widow in the movie. I think Alexander Pierce is a fantastic villain and I think it's one of the best Marvel movies. I think Civil War is definitely up there. Um, I really enjoyed it as a movie. And I think I'm de- it's one of those movies I want to see again and again um, over the next few years. As probably maybe a triple bill, something like that here and there. So I definitely rank it very high. Time will tell where in the top part of the, the franchise it will last. Just now my kind of top three would be something like um, Winter Soldier, 
Guardians of the Galaxy and probably probably Civil War at the moment. But I think I need a bit more time to just think about it as part of the bigger whole. But I think it definitely is deserved to be that high at the moment. Like the fact it can make just such a strong impression from that point alone, I think is real testament to the strength of the film. Uh, I guess we're just going to wrap up our talk now. Do you have any more final thoughts about the film? Or... Yeah, I think this is a, a credit to the way sequels have really come in the past few years that when I kind of grew up in with things like perhaps James Bond, Star Trek, that the sequels themselves were always quite loosely connected, that you could almost watch Spy Who Loved Me without seeing The Man with the Golden Gun, that you could probably watch Star Trek The Voyage Home without seeing The Search for Spock. And I think with sequels these days, and I think it really is down to, to Marvel, is that it can be a sequel, as you say, to Winter Soldier, but it's also the sequel to about seven other different movies, and it it almost makes them harder to think of them as separate holes. That Civil War is a really enjoyable movie, but when it you think about it as it's uh, as it is its part with uh, Winter Soldier, with its part of an Ultron, it enhances it the movie, and it also enhances other things around that. As I say, I, I didn't really enjoy Ultron but when I watched it as part of this bigger whole I thought I kind of get it now I could oversee its flaws if I could just draw the thread lines between it so I think that Marvel really has affected the way we all think of sequels now more than ever so I think it's a, a really fascinating movie to watch but at the same time it can always be enhanced by the other movies around it and I think that's something that's so different now from 10 years ago exactly Okay, so I think that's a great point for us to end the talk now. Um, I'd like to thank you again for coming on and providing such like great insight into this film. Uh, where can we find you online for your uh, film writing or other podcasts that you're on and stuff like that? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Lee underscore Nostromo. See, it all comes back to Alien. And you can also find me on the Senate Floor podcast. If you search for the Senate Floor and wherever you get your podcast, I do the bi-weekly filibuster edition with my co-host Matt Hansen, where we talk about movies like Captain America Winter Soldier to Alien to some of our just our favourite movies. We just love to talk about geek culture and films that we love. So that's where you'll find me. Great. And if you're looking for me on Twitter, I'm just at Rob Trench. And if you haven't already subscribed to The Sequelizer on iTunes, or if you haven't added us on SoundCloud, uh, do so, because that would be sweet. And definitely check out Lee's podcast as well. It's great. I've listened to a few episodes. It's already becoming a favorite of mine. Uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast. Join us next week when we'll be looking at another classic 80s horror uh, film. <laughs>